0: Well hey, thanks for being here guys. We really appreciate it, especially in this wonderful Michigan weather, who uh, woke up or was going to bed last night and was like, yo, I ain't going anywhere because there is that white stuff on the ground and who knows what's gonna happen, but we're really glad that you guys are here uh, with us. Um, just take a minute and share about who you are, um, your family, what you guys uh, do, and yeah. So,
1: good. Is this on? All right, good. Um, my name is Trent Roberts. Uh, we serve, I'll say it because I guess I can go there, but we serve in the Himalayan Plateau. We, we focus on Tibetan people, uh, but we're in what would be called Northern Asia or China. Um, this is my wife, Kayla. We have three kids, Easton, Abby, and Kingston. So we have one girl, one boy, and our youngest, Kingston, is a tornado. Um, he's five years old, and Easton is 12. Um, Abby's 10. Um, I've been serving in missions uh, since... Uh, 1986, um, meaning that my parents were missionaries. And so I'm actually a third-generation missionary with the Assemblies of God. My grandparents served in Africa. Uh, then I grew up in um, the Philippines with my, my parents, of course, uh, Bob and Bev Roberts, working with Asia's Little Ones in compassion ministries throughout the islands of the Philippines, uh, and then extending out throughout Asia. And then about 2003, I was uh, foolish enough to read a missionary book. And um, while reading that book, A uh, High Adventure in Tibet, just talking about our last missionary that went to Tibet in 1908, he went over, and uh, just his life story, and some of the challenges he faced. Um, and I, I was crazy enough to say, well, God, if you need me, I'm willing. And he called my bluff. And uh, six months later, I was on a plane going overseas. Um, served over there about two years, and um, realized I don't like being single. And uh, came back, got my degrees. Uh, Me and my wife had known each other, but realized, man, this would be a great person to do this journey with. And uh, got married, had kids, finished up my master's degree, went back over, served as a family then in China. Um, And we find ourselves now in the midst of COVID and having a great time. (laughs) making adjustments but did you want to add so you're
2: um my name's Kayla I'm from the UP and before we were married uh I was begging the Lord to give me a calling and he said over and over again just be obedient to whatever I have you to do and that was it um and so Trent and I got together and really loved him and so I kind of took on that calling uh to respect and honor it and him and treat it as my own. Um, Since COVID happened, we were in um, Thailand getting some medical work done and having some uh, meetings for our our group. And uh, while we were there, they canceled our flights home back to China. Uh, So we decided, well, we'll just go back to the States, see family for about two weeks, three weeks, and then we'll, we'll come back after this kind of dies down, and in February or January, it will be two years. <laughs> so
1: so it's been the longest vacation of our life, um, and I'm afraid the next vacation that we pack for my wife will just run a U-Haul, because uh, I remember telling my kids, you know, we're going to Thailand just for two, three weeks. I'm not taking stuffed animals. I'm not taking anything. We're going to go light. We're going tank tops and flip-flops and shorts. It's going to be great, and then we ended up landing back in Michigan on February 10th in flip-flop shorts and tank tops and so uh, it wasn't as great as I planned and so I've lost a lot of um, trust equity when it comes to planning trips um, and I'm afraid to see what happens next one.
2: But one good thing to come out of that is that we get to be here with you um, and just to talk to you guys about uh, what we're talking about today.
0: Awesome. What, what was your journey like after uh, Trent, you came back from your first and overseas? you know, What was that journey back to the missions field and, and navigating your call and, and engaging with missions overseas? So Dave's, Pastor Dave's probably watching online.
1: And it's probably the reason Pastor Dave had me scheduled when he's not here. Because Pastor Dave always like, with Trent, I just don't know what he's going to say. Um, and I know he, he right now he's just like, dear Jesus, please just help. Um, and so I'm just going to be honest with you guys. You know, there's a, there's a great we have a lot of slogans in Christianity that says, if God calls you, He'll equip you. And I mean that's an amen moment, amen. Like because that just means we don't have to do anything. <laughs> like we don't have to do anything. they are just like, well, God, it's your call, it's your equipping. I'm just going to be here, and you just paint on my canvas and make me become what you need me to become. And I don't really adhere to that, because um, working in China, one of the things you have to have is you have to have degrees. They really don't care about your heart or how much money you have. You need pieces of paper that say you're qualified to be in that place. And I agree with that. I mean, nobody really wants a heart surgeon who really loves heart surgery. You want a heart surgeon who's qualified to be a heart surgeon, just as much as you want ministers and you want educators and you want other things who are qualified, and the Lord calling us into China, I realized that one of the things I have to do is I have to become qualified. And so I came home, and I got my undergraduate degree. Now, to rewind, I'd been kicked out of two different Bible colleges up to that point, um, one for academics and one for immaturity. I'll put it that way. Uh, and so, but luckily, God redeems broken things, amen? And, and he did with me. And I, I went back to school And you know, you would think that me going back to school would mean that God was gonna prepare a path for me and it'd be great because if he calls us, he equips us, amen, and I went back to school and I failed at least seven classes from academics. And that's not without me trying, that's just me not being, I didn't have the skill set and the disciplines necessary. And in that time, I remember I looked at my wife, we were married and I said, well I failed statistics again. And if you know the class statistics, you can say amen. It's worth failing sometimes. It's, it's, it's a wretched class. God bless those who love it. And she goes, well, at least you know what class you need to take next semester. And I was like, you're right. And I think that sometimes for me, for, that was a qualifying time. That was a time when God was teaching me this idea of perseverance, this idea of endurance, which would be ne- a necessity for the journey ahead in the mission field that we have. Um, because just I think we assume that when God's in it, there won't be resistance, there won't be failure, there won't be things that stretch me beyond my abilities. And during that season when I came home in 2006 to 2010 when I returned, I, I was stretched beyond by, into my capacities um, to the point is I, I failed classes, but, but the key is you keep pressing in because you know that's what God's called you to do. And I knew I needed that, and so I did. And um, here's the crazy thing. I'm teaching. Statistics right now at North Point Bible College. Um, They asked me, they said, we need someone to cover for a few weeks. Would you be willing? And I said, statistics? I said, I failed that class two times. And they said, so you're very well practiced in it, right? And I was like, okay. But I just want to encourage you that sometimes when God calls you, that doesn't mean you're not going to get calluses on your hands to become qualified, to become equipped. It's not just some magical boom. It's actually through this experience of growing your character and expanding your capacities and your competencies that he really was involved in that time of my life with and still is. Um, Because after I got my undergraduate degree, um, the Simmons of God said, you know, I called them and I said, we're ready to go. And they said, then talk to your state district. And at the time, our district only sent two missionaries a year because they didn't want to flood the churches. And I called them and said, we'll put you on the waiting list. And I said, the waiting list? And they said, yeah, you'll be 2014, and in three or four years you'll be able to go. And I thought, well, that's not acceptable. I've been working so hard to get back, and now I'm waiting. And my wife says, why don't you do a master's degree? Which I kind of wanted to look at her and say, were you not a part of my undergraduate degree? You know, like, and I, and I remember I, I found myself in a room with a, the dean of a program at one point, and he said, yeah, why don't you come join our program? And I said, well, your program, you need a 3.5 GPA to join your program. I said, if you times my GPA by two, I still don't qualify. Um, and he says, I'll take care of that. And I ended up getting a 4.0 in my master's degree. And what's crazy now is as the Lord's moved, here we are, now I'm in a PhD program. And I'm just kind of like, please, Lord, let there be nothing more. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, let's expand other areas. Because it is, it is growing, but the Lord is... is that's the thing that I, I learned in that season is that if I want to do more, I have to allow him to expand more in me and teach me new sets and skills. And that means that I don't know those things yet. And that's what equipped me to go back. And um, in 2000, what was it? We went back in, to Jung 18, 19. Yeah, 19, I think we went back. And I got a job at the university teaching. Um, and they... They knew I was a Christian, but then we got a new dean, and he was a little concerned about my belief in Christianity. And he's so they had to let me go. They fired me because I was a Christian. Um, and when I inquired, you know, why am I being let go? Because that means my family doesn't have a visa. We have no way to be in the country anymore. And he said, you know, we're concerned that you'll subconsciously influence our students with Christianity. And I said, that's absolutely not true. I will consciously influence some of those things. Um I will consciously influence them to value marriage, to be good parents, to take, be stewards of their money, consciously influence them to be kind to their neighbors and love those um, in, in different class systems. I'll, I'll consciously influence them those things. And I said, those are the values in which I believe in and I, I stand by that Christ promotes. Why would I consciously influence them for something else? Um, but they still were concerned and had to let us go and I ended up teaching uh, fourth graders That was the only visa we could find. Um, And so I had all girls in my fourth grade class. So it's like teaching with a perpetual slumber party. It was a... And that may have been the most growing season of my life. Um, And so I I just say that because you never know. I mean, we have expectations of where God's leading us and what he's doing and how he's gonna be equipping us. And for me, that season, I've just kind of realized like, God, you're creative in the ways that you are going to partner with our life to expand and, um, our capacities for your kingdom's sake. And, you know, we want to continue to submit to that and serve in that
0: area. And so that's, that's kind of been the journey from there. So. Something, uh, we're, I'm curious about, we're currently in a series on joy, uh, talking about in Philippians, you know, Paul encouraging the Philippian church to be full of joy and to even in the midst of the journey of the times where it's like, this isn't quite right. Like have joy. Um, what has your guys' experience? Uh, Cause I, have, I know you guys and I know part of that journey, but like what's, uh, what's that look like for you guys as you've been in the midst of like, okay, here's the next thing and that comes and it's like, oh, now it's another thing and it feels like the the journey is constantly going a different direction than what seems like would be the next logical question. You know, how do you continue to, uh, you know, as you, you said, your call was to be obedient. You know, how do you face being obedient in that journey and uh, in, in this light of context of joy? You know, how do you be obedient with joy in that journey?
2: Well, I've often found that when I can't pray myself into more joy, I surround myself with others who can. Um, and Trent and I have often said, we we just, it might sound weird to say, but we just feel when people are praying for us. And we feel when, <clears throat> for instance, our son had pneumonia and had to be in the hospital for 10 days. Um and we were in a hallway, and it was—he had a bed of two by fours with a little thin mattress on it. And we just felt like we—we'd reached like the depths of <laughs> of just sorrow at that point. Um, and we were worried about him, and we were stressed. Um, but there is something that just kept sustaining us, and. um we, we reached down on Facebook and told people what was going on. People were like, we're praying for you, we're praying for, we're praying for you. And it wasn't just that we knew, we could just feel that sustaining. Um, and it's the same with joy, you know, just knowing that the Lord had us, brought us just joy and peace um, to be able to withstand that moment. Um, and just, yeah, I would say just surround yourself. That's what the body's for, you know, when you can't do something um, others will help to come bring you up in that way.
1: Yeah, for me, it's it's always interesting because I don't know what Pastor Day has been teaching. I never want to say anything like, joy is this, and he's like, his first point was like, joy is never this, and I'm like, oof. you know. But I will say this, that I believe that joy is a byproduct of of other things. Um, it's not something that we can just grab a hold of and today I'm going to be joyful. You know, it, it, it's not something we can just, produce in ourselves, it's a byproduct of so many other things. And I think for me, when I realize that my life is completely joyless, it's because a lot of my my filters and the way I'm perceiving life has been impacted by other things other than the gospel, other than my time spent with Christ, my prayer time, my worship, my time with the community and the body of Christ, that I notice when my joy starts to seep out, it's because I'm allowing other things to influence my perception of my situation. I'm allowing the news, or the media, or my financial situation, or or the present. But the gospel says, you know, it's this, therefore this is a purifying hope of those who believe. You know, what I mean that we're looking forward to things, that we we understand that His kingdom is coming, and that the gates of hell will not prevail. There's times we feel the pressures at times and the heat from the gates of hell. We feel the resistance. We feel the, but what we do is we claim again. We 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 gain that perception of Scripture. We gain, we gain time with his spirit. We gain, we, we choose to intentionally pray fast, be with community and in fellowship. And I really do genuinely believe that if we're doing those things, that that becomes the filter in which we experience our life. It's not Fox News or CNN or whatever propaganda you choose. It's, it truly is the gospel of Christ. Um, that becomes how we see and how we identify our lives. And for me, I've seen and I've heard it where you see in in China, the lowest of the low, the beggars that will come to church. You know, they reserve the few few rows for them at the government church. Um, And they're honored beyond all measure. And some of these beggars have the most joy in the world because they have this relationship with God and they're just so honored to have that and this community that doesn't look at them as beggars but looks at them as brothers and sisters. And I think sometimes we lose our joy because our perception becomes more a worldly perception than a kingdom perception. And I do believe that it's a byproduct of other things that produce that and help stabilize it and maintain it. That if we get those things in sequence, we wake up with this mentality, this is the day the Lord has made, I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And that the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, that we start, we, we almost, that becomes the outflowing living water that we're in no matter what our circumstances is because our mind and our heart is established in Christ and Christ alone.
0: So amidst all this journey and, and the, you know, the difficulties that come along the way plus all the joys, you know, why, why overseas work? Why consistently work to get back to uh, whether it's China or another location? You know, what's the, what's your motivation to, to do that?
1: You know, for me, it's, you know, experience. Um, I would assume that every person in this room, unless it's your first day or first time, you've experienced the goodness of God. You've experienced his love. You've experienced his peace be still into your life. You've experienced a hopeless situation and a dead end, and all of a sudden a path in the wilderness shows up because he stepped into your situation. Um You felt safety and love for the first time in your life. And you want to know how to find more of that safety and love. Um, You felt a community that values you. You know, that is the hallmarks of what we're doing. And, you know, as as Kyle said earlier, you know, where, where it's not present, where it doesn't have access, how can they know lest some tell them? And how can they be told lest someone goes? And how could someone go lest someone sends them? And, you know, for us, we believe, you know, as Kayla even said earlier, that we feel when God's calling people and when people are praying for us. And I think that God chooses sometimes to step in and, and say, all right, I'm going to take you two aside, because I think it's important that the Tibetan people and people in this city and in this context and in this neighborhood have an encounter, have access to somebody who can show my love and my goodness. And it's not just to preach the gospel of, you know, his resurrection, which is vital and important, but it's, it's to preach it and give space for experience of it. And I think that that's where we can go wrong when we just preach over the fence at our neighbors, and we don't actually invite them to our tables. Um, when we just kind of throw the gospel over the fence or like put it on a catapult and kind of launch it, and then it's void of relationship, it's void of experience, and so much of what Jesus does in the Gospels is he has conversations with people, and then they have experience with what he's having conversations about. You know, he has, they have experience with this love. They have experience with this kindness, the experience with the forgiveness, experience with healing, experience with this new kingdom concept. And, you know, to me, I remember just even I was, I found myself at one point, it was I had gone to Lijiang into our city because we were going to move to a new city, it's a city I used to live in, in 2003, uh, three, four, and I went to school there, and I was in that city again, and getting our house, getting established, and after about, I don't know, maybe like six days, I was getting depressed. You wanna talk about joy leaving, because I was just working all day long, nonstop. My phone wasn't working, because so I couldn't act access them as much. I, I was just lonely. Because I was just in this foreign country by myself, in this city, I didn't know anybody. And I was trying to establish, and I was sitting there sometimes every night eating alone, looking out, watching all these people, thinking, what use am I here, God? Like, why am I even here? Like, I've been serving so long, God, and I haven't seen a church planted. I haven't seen, I haven't seen this revival experience. I haven't seen people like, tell me more about this Jesus. I need to know more. Can, you know, I haven't had the experiences that you hear other missionaries having in other places, and, I mean, people had encounters with God, but I hadn't seen the fullness of what it is yet. And I was, I was just really, and I knew what it was going to be in our marriage. I knew what it was going to be taking my wife away from her family and my kids away from grandparents and cousins. And, and I knew that we're not going to have a church setting like this. We're going to have a couch that we're going to be able to do it with. And, 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 I, and I was just kind of really under complete attack, to say the least, just depressed. And I remember I just felt like, One of the rubrics that I always go back to, one of the things that I always say is that God works in community, the enemy works in isolation, you know. And God works in the light, the enemy works in darkness. And so we always say, make sure you better take proper assessment of where you're at. Because if you're feeling that maybe isolation is my issue, I need to get around the community. And I knew some other believers in in the city next to me that I was going to have to go to to get to the international airport I was going to. And so I called them and I said, hey, do you mind if I come and stop by and visit you guys for a day and they were so gracious yes we'd love you to come by you know I'd seen them in a while and and so I got on the train and I went to them and I was still just in my head so depressed and I was thinking I was going to be an encouragement to them and you know because I was more of the veteran missionary and I went there and I said you know hey how are you guys doing I just wanted to come and encourage you guys and see how you're doing and they're like oh Trent things are going so good and I was like that must be nice um you know and you, you know when you get in one of those party pooper phases where you just kind of, you, you get kind of like you have your little parade of nobody loves me, I'm going to go eat worms kind of mentality, and I was right in the heat of it, and you know, I wasn't showing them, but inside, you know, me and God were just, I was just like, that's, that's really kind of you, thank you, um, you know, and, and, he, and they said, Trent, you need to come tonight to the coffee shop with us and meet a new disciple, and I said, a new disciple, huh? lucky you, you know, and just kind of there's that sense of like, what have I done wrong? You know, I've been serving now, how long, Lord? I've been doing what I can do, and now you guys get disciples, you guys get all this stuff, and I'm out in no man's land, you know, all alone, and I got there that night, and my my friend introduced me to this new, new Chinese brother, his name was Stephen, and Stephen, it's great to meet you, you know, he's He's like, oh, Trent, it's good to meet you, and we talked a bit, and in Chinese, I just encouraged him to, you know, continue in the faith and to, to really focus on what they're saying and to, that he's made one of the best decisions ever, and I'm so proud of him. And then I got pulled into another meeting I had to go to, and so I went to another meeting, and as I was leaving that night, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and I felt really impressed by the Holy Spirit, I need to go back and talk to Stephen and just encourage him one more time. And so I, I went back to Stephen, and I said, Stephen, I just, before I go, I just wanted to once again, I said, I had to America tomorrow, but I just wanted to let you know how much what an honor it was to meet you. And just, I am so proud of you. Because I thought he was the first believer in his family. And, you know, his parents were very, kind of, pushed him away. And he says, he says, thank you, Trent. That means a lot. And he goes, and your name was Trent, right? And I said, yeah. He says, I used to know a Trent. And I was like, really? I was like, that's not a very common name in China. And he's like, yeah. Um, it's when I lived in Lijiang. And I said, I used to live in Lijiang. And he's like, it was in 2004. And I said, I was in Lijiang in 2004, and I don't remember a Trent. And he's like, it's when I studied at Zhao yuxiu in the teacher's college. I said, I studied at Zhao Yuxiu-Yu in the teacher's college in 2004 in Lijiang, and there was no Trent there. And my buddy's looking at me and him like, you guys know you're talking about each other, right? And I was like, wait a minute. I go, Stephen? He's like, Trent? And we just start jumping up and down. I mean, this isn't a nation of 1.8 billion people. I encountered this friend of mine from college who's come to the Lord 15 years later. And as we begin to talk, he's, he's telling my other, the other missionary, he goes, this is Trent. This is Trent. He's the one who gave me my name, Stephen Van Holmes. He needed an email, we had to get a last name. And so, Stephen Van Holmes, and he's like, he's like, this is the first foreigner I've met. This is the first one who told me about Jesus. He would come into our dorm room, we'd be drunk, and he'd say, why do you guys wanna live like this? And he'd start cleaning our rooms and say, look at how dirty your room is, it's just like your life. There's nothing good can come of this. And he goes, Trent was the first one that when we'd walk down the road, if he was with another person speaking English and I wanted to practice my English, I would stand behind him, and he would always yell at me, no, you stand between us. You don't walk behind us, you walk with us. You're equal with us. He's like, this is Trent. And I began to talk with him more. We met the next morning for coffee before I had to leave, and I said, Stephen, how did you you get here? And he began to tell me the story of the last 12 years, how there was 12 different people that God brought into his life to plant and water, and I was one of the first. You know, 1 Corinthians says this. Paul says, I plant Paul's waters, but God gives the increase. And, you know, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Is sometimes we get discouraged because we don't see the outcomes. You know, our last missionary we talked about, Victor Plymeyer, he says this, you know. He says he was 16 years before he saw his first convert working among Tibetans. 16 years That's a long time of planting and watering, planting and watering. But when you trust that God is in control of the process and you realize my responsibility is to plant and water, I can't cause photosynthesis. I can't cause germination, but I can take seed and place it down. I can take water and pour it. And that's really the responsibility we have We want to place that seed out there. We want to water those moments for people with interactions and encounters with his goodness, with his kingdom. And in that, we trust that God is responsible for the increase. And if it takes a year, a minute, or 16 years, it's his harvest. It's not ours. But we have a responsibility nonetheless to go there and to plant to water. And I would say it's the same responsibility you guys have here with your backyards and your neighbors and your family members to plant and to water. You can't bring about the outcome, but you better be able to articulate how you are planting and watering with these people. You better understand that you still have a responsibility not just to pay us to do it, but you have a personal responsibility to do it in your own context. And if you don't know how, you ask God, please help me and teach me how to do this and give me opportunity. And it's amazing when people have that encounter with his presence, his genuine love and his forgiveness and his kindness. That it doesn't make sense to them, but something changes. Something clicks. You know, I'll tell you one more. Can I tell one more story here? If that's okay. So we were in Tibet. Kyle actually knows. You might have been on this trip with us. I don't know. Yeah, you were. No? It was the one maybe before. I'm not sure. But he knows the person I'll talk about. Her name's Nima. She's a Tibetan friend of ours. And she's just awesome. And Nima had had a couple encounters with the Lord's presence. And one of the encounters she had, actually, J.P. Dorsey, who's the president of North Point Valley College, was with us on one of the trips. And we were in a hotel room, we were talking with her, and, and really it was just we were showing her how much we love her and appreciate her. And we had a time of prayer just to pray over her. And she remember, she sat on the chair, and she just looked at me, she goes, Trent, what am I feeling right now? What is this? And you know, she's Tibetan Buddhist. The only things that the spirit around them does is do bad things. And Buddhism protects them from those bad things. And she's sitting in this chair and says, what am I feeling right now? What's going on? And I said, well, it's the presence of God. And she goes, why is it good? Why is this good? You know, and I said, because he loves you. And she's like, I, I, I want to know more about this love. You know, and it was on the next trip that Kyle came that one of the young ladies, one of my rules, forgive this rule, is I have a rule that you're not allowed to cry in front of Tibetans because they will have no idea why you're crying. It'll be very confusing to them, you know. And so I said, please don't get blubbery because you're feeling they're all going to hell. Um, They won't understand that. It's confusing. So just go out and find a space, and God will do his thing with you there. We were in one of the houses, and I think you might remember this. We were in one of the houses... We just stopped at a random city, had tea in a random house. Nima asked, just a Tibetan on the street, can we have tea at your house? She's like, come, have tea with me. So we went and had tea with them, and they showed us around their house. We went to what's called the altar room where they had butter sculptures, and they had we were talking about it. And, and the Lord really started to just, and one of the young ladies that was on the trip really started to kind of stir on her. And I saw it happening. I saw like the chin quiver, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. And so I kind of tapped her. I said, why don't you step outside for a minute, just take a deep breath. So she went outside, and um, when she went outside, I realized, oh, she probably doesn't have her gloves, so I went and took her gloves to her, and I didn't know, but Nina, Nima had followed us, and when this young lady turned around, she had just tears flowing down her eyes, or, or her cheeks, and Nima saw her, and Nima said, are you okay? What's going on? What happened? Are, are, did something happen? Do you need something? And then she's like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, and so I tried to distract. I said, oh, she's just having a rough day and probably tired, and just kind of throw it off, and and But Nima knew there was something that just didn't make sense to her. And so we were at dinner a few nights later, and Nima says, Trent, and this is just so Tibetan to do, it's like the young lady sitting right there, she's like, Trent, can I ask her about why she was crying the other night? And I was like, absolutely, go ahead. And so she asked this young lady, why were you crying the other night? And I was really impressed with her answer because she says, pretty much... God loves the Tibetan people so much. And when we were in that room, I was just reminded how how badly he wants to have a relationship with you and how much he loves you guys and how much he loves you and how much he loves that woman and her husband and that family in that one house in this massive country and how he so badly just wants to pour his blessing and his love. And I remember Nima got tears in her eyes and she says, Trent, I need to know more about this because he really does love us, doesn't he? And I said, he does, he does. You know, Nima, since then, we were on a trip, and she asked, she said, she said, tonight, t- Trent, we were going on a trip, and I had to pull out a new bowl. And I pulled it out, and I offered grain offerings to my spirits for our trip for safety. And I said, okay, and she goes, and as I was finishing, I had a moment where I thought, <gasps> I should also offer him to Trent's God, because He's good. And she goes, and I poured out, I pulled out a brand new bowl that I've never used for any. It's one of my best. And I set it there and I poured grain into it. And I said, Jesus, God's Trent. Trent's God, please just help us have a safe trip today and watch over us. And she asked me, she says, Will your God be angry with me for doing that? And I said, No. I said, My God doesn't need the grain offerings. I said, but he's just very glad you're talking with him. And I said, and with my God, you can talk to him at any time. You don't have to present offerings and you don't have to make him happy. He just wants to be with you. And Nima's begun the conversation more and more about the Lord. and She's opening up more and more. I mean, she's asked us so many more questions. And, and that is the very reason we're doing what we're doing is because we hope to see a community rise up who've experienced the goodness of our God. And who now will take that experience and create spaces for others to experience it.
0: Well, obviously, everyone here is not going to immediately walk out of here like, all right, let's all, let's all go to the airport, and buy a ticket to China, and we're all going to do this thing together. Um, and that's, you know, that'd be crazy and maybe kind of cool, but also probably wouldn't work very well. Um, you know, God leads and calls us all to different places and to different people. And... Um, you know, Jesus' last commandment to his disciples is to go, to go and make disciples, to, I love how you phrase it, to to uh, be someone uh, that others can experience God, that you come, it's not that you come and bring God to them, but that you are just simply a signpost saying, God is here and God loves you. So um, to wrap things up, uh, what's a couple practical ways, you know, as a, as a community, as a believer's, that we can participate in that work where we are, maybe some of us is you know maybe there are people in this room today that spirit is calling you to consider to go overseas, and others of you are like "No, I know where i 'm supposed to be i'm I'm where i 'm supposed to be at, and you know but what are some practical ways that we can engage in that work in the in the mundane of life you know in in the raising of kids, in the nine to five jobs in the in the the, the marriage relationships in the family, all the different things you know. What are just a couple practical things that we can do individually and as a church to be a part of that?
2: Um, I think some of the most powerful ministry we've ever experienced has been around our table. Um, having people over for a simple meal and opening up our home. Uh, for me personally,
1: which is a completely different ideology than thinking of the church to becoming the church. Um, and I think that logistically, if, if, it's, if you're somebody who wants to think about going overseas, you're like, maybe God's directing my heart, what I'd encourage you to do is, you know, talk to other missionaries, talk to us, talk about process, but also start to understand that God's gonna start challenging some of your capacities and competencies. And that one of the things I always tell students is this, passion is not a competency. Passion, should be the wind in your sail that helps you develop competencies. The passion in and of itself is not a qualifier for missions. Um, it's what should promote you to grow and develop into what you need to become for missions. Um, but I would say exactly what Kayla said that you know Luke ten is one of my favorite passages and it says after this Jesus appointed seventy two others and sent them on ahead of him two by two in every place he himself. Was What I love about that is Jesus sends sends us into places that he's anticipating to arrive himself. So where you bought your house, guess what? Jesus wants to show up on that street. In your apartment complex, guess what? Jesus wants to show up on on that floor in that building. You know, in your townhouse, in your condo, wherever you're at, guess what? Jesus wants to show up because he sent you there and he wants to show up. And I think that sometimes we can assume that we're cut off from that. What I love about it is he says, and he says, I'm sitting you out like sheep, sheep among the wolves. He says, don't take with you all these different things. I and mean, don't look like some of the other traveling merchants, but go to, the, go to the homes and find a peace-loving person. And if a peace-loving person is there, his peace will reside. He says, therefore, do not move from house to house. I mean, don't just go look for easier places or better situations. And he says, What is that before you? Go to their houses and sit at their tables. To me and Kayla, one of the greatest honors is not when someone accepts our invitation to come to our table, but when someone gives us an invitation to their table. You know, and I think it's time for me. What I would challenge the church and, and and believers of Christ is this: we have to give up home court advantage. We have to give up this start going to their tables I start thinking about when is the last time I sat at their tables when was the last time I was the minority of faith inside of a circle of people when was the last time someone did? I was with someone who really didn't understand what Christianity was and it was really awkward to talk about it when they asked me questions what I love about China is this legally we can't go and tell people about Jesus but legally any question that they ask us we can answer so, our belief was this let's live very questionably. Let's keep our shades open and our doors unlocked so people can peek in and peer in. Because when they do, they're going to have questions. And we can answer those questions. Because who we are and what they see always points back to Jesus. That's my friend. So, what I would encourage you guys to do is, is realize that you actually have in your place couch probably in your chairs in the living room, a coffee table, around your dining room a coffee table, is to fill those chairs up and fill those seats up with people and, and relationships that you want to say, you know what, there's a person that I think God wants to show up to.